Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This episode of the New Statesman podcast is supported by Squarespace, the all in one platform that makes it fast and simple to build your own professional website and online shop. For a free trial and 10% off, visit squarespace.com and enter the offer code STATESMAN at checkout. A better web starts with your website. Welcome to the New Statesman podcast. The big domestic political story of the week has turned out to be the defection of Tory MP Douglas Carswell to UKIP. I'm joined by our politics editor, George Eaton, and Anusha Kalian, the acting editor of The Staggers, to talk about... Well, George, first of all, give me a sketch me out Douglas Carswell's kind of character and reputation at Westminster. Mm. Well, he is one of the most prominent Eurosceptics in the Tory party, very close to to Daniel Hannan, the Conservative MP. He's co-authored several books with him. And he's also a distinctive Democrat and a supporter of radical constitutional change. And that's one reason why he's triggered a by-election uh, after his defection, because he thinks his constituents should have a chance to approve his new allegiance. So he could have just gone over and said, you're stuck with me for another yes. couple of months until May 20th. It's not long until the general election. He could quite easily, easily have done that. And the fact he's chosen to trigger a by-election heightens the danger for David Cameron, because there's now a real prospect of the Conservatives being defeated by a UKIP candidate for the first time in a parliamentary contest. And if Carswell, who is, has been installed as the favourite immediately, because he has a very strong personal brand in his constituency, if he wins under a UKIP banner, the risk for Cameron is that other Tories will follow. They may even think we have a better chance of holding our seats if we go with UKIP rather than staying with the Tories. Um, and Noosh, how, who's panicked most about this? Which section of the Tory party is, is most alarmed by this? I think um, probably the most alarmed section would be David Cameron and the leadership because what's quite uh, dangerous for them about Douglas Carswell is that he's not your classic, fusty, sort of backwards-looking UKIP man. He's actually a moderniser and he's quite radical in his thinking. He wrote a book about so-called eye-democracy at the end of last year talking about how um, you can modernise the... Uh, membership of political parties by going sort of more grassroots and more techie as well. Um, so I think that is a danger to Cameron, who is supposed to be more on the modernising wing of his party, because he's sort of uh, one of those figures that perhaps could have been under his wing if he'd listened to more of his ideas. And um, we saw this week that Nigel Farage has been selected for his seat in, uh, in Thanet. So is this, are we now looking to the possibility of a, of a reasonable electoral breakthrough at the next election, uh, George? I still think UKIP will be lucky to get more than a couple of seats. I think it was rather grandiose for them to talk of holding the balance of power in a in a hung parliament because you already have 
you have Northern Irish parties with more MPs than, than UKIP are likely to get um, at the general election. But you are seeing uh, the split in the right getting worse rather than better, which is terrible for David Cameron ahead of the general election, because as um, Bill Cash, for instance, has immediately pointed out in response, you know, very, very strong Eurosceptic. Um, this is reducing the chances of a, of a Tory victory in 2015 and the EU referendum that would follow it and helping to put um, to increase Labour's chances of making it making it into government. And if, if you think, do you think there's anything that particularly drove Douglas Carswell over the edge? Was there a, an event, do you think, or something that happened? Or is this just the result of a long term journey? Um, well, he's actually... Um, prevaricated over whether or not he um, is a supporter of David Cameron because he used to be quite critical of him but then he had a change of heart and he was saying you know Europhobes in the Tory backbenches we've got to support David Cameron because a Conservative victory is the only way that we'll get our um, sort of lusted after EU referendum. Um, so I'm not sure whether he's um, actually had a time of reflection over recess um, to think about that because he's he's never been sort of one or the other on this on this issue. So I'm not sure if it's one particular event that's pushed him pushed him over the edge and George presumably there'll be if not champagne corks popping then certainly a, you know a milk tray being handed around the office and something in Brewer's Green because this this all this helps Labour it does so um Michael Duggar delivered a, a statement saying Cameron's not just running out of running out of MPs and running out of ideas and they With can that say punning that we've yes. so come to love from Labour yeah <laughs> he can't control his party his strategy has failed there were people last year when David Cameron made his promise of an in our EU referendum says this has shot UKIP's fox, this will help to heal the divide on the right. In fact, you've seen the reverse happen. Um, and, and David Cameron even now is being forced to make more concessions. So there's talk of him saying I would be prepared to campaign for an outvote in the referendum, uh, which isn't a move he's made yet. But if he does say that now, it will look like a, a desperate act and it, it, and it will look like a terrible sign of weakness. Um, and how will this change the mood going into Tory party conference? Because we've already had one kind of small bomb go off in, this, mm. in the form of Boris Johnson deciding that he'll stand in Uxbridge and he's now been selected as a candidate there, I understand. So there's already the beauty pageant of the next possible leaders going on. Is it going to be a chance for lots of people in the in the cabinet to slightly burnish their anti-AU or at least their hardline credentials? Mm, well, that is the that is the likely consequence. Um because of course, um, you know, they will. They will. If the Tories are to defeat Labour, they do need to stop the seepage of votes to UKIP. In fact, they need to win quite a lot back. Um, of course, the Foreign Secretary is now Philip Hammond, a man who said that were a referendum to be held today, he would vote. He would vote out. But I think what the danger for Cameron is that at the last conference before the general election, when you want to present a united front, when you want to talk about the economy, talk about leadership, hit Labour hard. Uh, you've got a, a classic outbreak of Tory infighting, um, and 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 this is uh, sort of the stuff of Linton Crosby's nightmares. This is not well, all people repeating the same message all the time, is it? And it's one of those things that's interesting because we know that Europe isn't a massively huge issue for voters it's a big issue for Tory backbenchers yeah. but this is exactly what he didn't want he didn't want them to be talking about something that mostly electorate find quite dull on which note <laughs> hopefully we haven't bored our listeners similarly I'll say thank you to George and Anoush
This episode of the New Statesman podcast is supported by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and simple to build your own professional website and online shop. The easy-to-use drag-and-drop tools, responsive designs and 24-7 customer support teams based in New York and Dublin mean you can create a beautifully designed website for as little as £5 a month. This includes a free domain name when you sign up for a year. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code STATESMAN to get 10% off and show your support for the new Statesman. No credit card required. Start building your website today. Who on earth would want to watch someone playing video games? Well, quite a lot of people, actually, because the live streaming search Twitch has been sold to Amazon for $970 million, which isn't quite as much as Google were offering, a straight billion. I'm joined by Fiona Rutherford and Ian Stedman to talk about, well, let's talk about games, first of all. Do either of you know, play games? Fiona, do you play games or do you watch people playing games? No, um, <laughs> I don't watch games um, and I'm not a gamer, but um, I have a few friends that play games. So does this whole concept just seem weird? And weird <laughs> yeah. to you? Okay, Ian, I spotted you at your desk doing some research into doing stuff. Doing research on Twitch. What's better, the goldfish paying... Street Fighter, or the 80,000 people trying to play Pokemon together? Uh, 80,000 people trying to play Pokemon together. So explain, basically, if, if you... How have that a, works, what, yeah. what that is. For the listeners who at home who have no idea what we're talking about, um, Twitch is a website that is it's very similar to YouTube, which is what's so strange about it, but it's kind of like uh, a video site to YouTube in the same way Instagram is to Facebook. It's just for streaming people playing video games and other people can watch. You kind of join in, you click on someone's channel, there's a chat room, you can chat with other people watching and there'll just be someone like narrating as they're playing a game. Maybe there's they've got a webcam that's shot in the corner so you can see them. And it's a really simple idea, but $970 million has taken a lot of people by surprise because this is something that within the gaming world is extremely popular and is extremely kind of famous and is clearly a growing trend but outside of that has kind of passed a lot of people by so the statistics that they put out are 1 million people a month broadcast to it they yeah. have 5,500 5, Twitch partners those are people who are kind of given a kind of gold star by the system and allowed to monetize their streams they can run pre-roll adverts on the video they can sell merchandise other stuff like that. And I think they claim 55 million unique users they to date. They do, yeah. Um, and that's, Which still doesn't sound very many. No, but that is... Um, I was looking... I looked this up because I was interested to see how it compared to YouTube. And it's kind of roughly comparable to where YouTube was in size three years after YouTube launched. Which, okay, the internet was a bit younger then and video streaming wasn't as quite as ubiquitous. But that's still kind of a sign that... The, and Twitch is only two years old for a start. So this is a sign that this is a, a growing thing that's clearly worth jumping on board. And it's also not that crazy when you, you think about the, the, the sums that go into live sports, for instance. Um, esports is incredibly popular in East Asia and is, I think a lot of people would be surprised by just how popular it is in the West as well, even if it's not covered as much by like, publications like us, for instance. So I wrote about esports in the piece I wrote about Twitch for the Sunday Times, and I was really surprised. They have um, Dota, uh, Defense of the Ancients, is a, is a massive game on there. Mm. Um, and one of my favourite things was they had um, a big competition called the International in Seattle a couple of weeks ago. And at the end of it, the, win- the captain of the winning team, a, a Chinese guy, he retired from esports at the age of 24. <laughs> yeah. Like, hopelessly. Haven't they? They've become a, um, a pro commentator team for Dota matches and tournaments as well. Like, they're they're that... personalities within this world. There's, there are celebrities. There are people on Twitch who have audiences of thousands of people who pay to watch them as well, which is why Twitch makes money. Um, and it's clearly Amazon's looked at this and thought, well, Google's got YouTube. We want our own video streaming site. 
which is the next best that's thing. That's, yeah, I think that's interesting, <laughs> Fiona. I mean, I don't know what. I mean, why do you, what do you think the attraction is for Amazon here? Um, I think it was strange that they chose Amazon over Google because um, YouTube is it would complement it mm. really well. And um, when I think of Amazon, I just think of like uni books and <laughs> toiletries and things like that. So it's quite weird. But I heard that. They're um, starting a new business, media business, so maybe that's why. I think their new chief mm. executive's quite um, quite aggressively expansionist, isn't yeah. he? So it's really interesting because it's these sort of these massive oligopolies kind of dominate the internet and they rise mm. and fall. And you know, Microsoft kind of became was the biggest thing in the world, and now it's been picked, and then it gets taken over. Is this? Do you think Ian, that this is is this the end of the Google dominance era, or is this a rare? Not the end of Google. But yeah. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> it is a further sign of, of Amazon trying to get into fields that companies like Google and Microsoft are in. Um, things like Amazon Instant Video, they're investing a lot of money in. That was a few years ago. It was just kind of just digital renting videos online. But now it's something more like Netflix, where you pay a set fee, you get it fr- um, chucked in with Amazon Prime, and that you can stream stuff. Like they've put the HBO back catalogue on there, which was a huge get because the only way you can legally stream HBO stuff otherwise is to be subscribers to HBO and internationally that isn't the case for everyone um, they're also I mean yeah there's the production companies you're saying Fiona there's um, the app, the Fire Phone as well they're trying to get into all these things that other tech companies are doing the Fire Phone looks like a total flop but um, Kindle's been a massive success they own e-reading like that market is theirs but this is what I find really interesting about these massive tech giants is that they're not content to be the leader. They're always this sort of huge empire building. Like, it, you know, it'll be about another 10 minutes before Google tries to launch another social network. God bless them. You know, <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, yeah, remember Buzz and Wave and yeah. Google Plus. But no, we've got now we have Google Life <laughs> and it's going to be really brilliant. Um, yeah. Why do you think that is, Fiona? Why do you think they can't be satisfied with what they've got? I think they just want to get rid of all the competitors Mm. i think that's the only reason i think that's why amazon wanted to i don't know i think it's just because um google is their competitor so they just wanted to take that away from them so Mm. they have something I wonder if some of it is a sort of certain kind of macho posture. Yeah, it's like, I, I want it because it you want it. Yeah. And I want to beat you and I will have it. There's then... a lot of money to just be. <laughs> yeah. I think they're also scared of what happens, what's happened to Microsoft, which is still huge. Mm. But um, Windows, you know, you go 10 years ago, every computer office, home and office in the world was running Windows. And now it's down to like 20, 25% or something, which, and everyone's going mobile and and Microsoft has nothing on mobile because they didn't see that coming. So um, there's that kind of desperate attempt to get involved in everything in the hope that something sticks and that they've got something there when the next thing comes along. They've already, they're not already been left behind. I suppose that's the venture capital principle, isn't it? Yeah. You yeah. just kind of, you throw money at things and the hope mm. that one of them's such a massive success, it doesn't matter that the other nine were, were, yeah. were, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, <they've got> <laughs> were a bad phone. Yeah. Um, well, in that case, on that note, I'll say very much thank you to Fiona and Ian. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast. You can find us every week on iTunes or at newstatesman.com forward slash podcast. Our theme tune is Devil with the Devil by the Underscore Orchestra, licensed under Creative Commons, and our producer is Philip Maughan.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.